The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So for the last while in this time we've been exploring in some depth the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And a few weeks ago we started with um, the second aspect of the Eightfold Path, Wise Intention. So I'll continue that, but I'll give a little bit of context, um, just a kind of review. So the Eightfold Path is a, we could say they're kind of um, tools that help us to live a life that leads us in the direction of a deeper happiness. A happiness that comes from recognizing and understanding the ways in which our mind participates in suffering, the way in which our mind participates in the struggles and difficulties that we face. Not all of what happens to us is because of stuff going on in our mind. There is subjective, um, painful experience that happens to us. And that doesn't stop. But there's a way that, there's a, what we could say is a form of... Um, suffering that happens not because of that unpleasant, painful experience itself, but because of our relationship to it. Because we're angry about it or frustrated or confused or wanting something different, our mind is is kind of leaning out, reaching out for something else or pushing something away. And that very leaning out, reaching out or pushing away um, is a kind of a form of contraction and tension that um, exacerbates the pain. It's like a multiplier for whatever pain we're experiencing. It multiplies that. Or if we're reaching out for something pleasant, you know, something, we're, we're trying to get something pleasant in our um, to hold on to. The very leaning out, in the very leaning out, we're already off balance. And if we look at, start exploring what it feels like to have that wanting, to have that craving, we recognize that right in that moment, it feels very unsatisfying. There's a kind of struggle, a kind of suffering, a, a kind of just dissatisfaction right in that very experience of craving. And so the, um, the teaching of the Buddha offers is, is kind of around this kind of suffering that's contributed, that our mind contributes to our experience. And that he found that it's possible that we can transform our minds and release that kind of suffering that, that our minds are contributing. 
often this kind of suffering that our minds are contributing is very habitual, very conditioned. For myself, uh, there was a strong, um, kind of, and still is a strong tendency towards the aversive side of things. But this really, uh, early in my, in my life and early in my practice, what I really got to see was a lot of anger. That was kind of my go-to strategy. My go-to strategy about trying to figure out how to navigate the world. And when I started the practice, that's a lot of what I got to see was this experience of anger itself. And I could see there were all kinds of ideas about how that anger was going to do something for me. And also seeing at times how that thinking about what that anger is going to do for me made me miss that I was miserable right now because of the experience of anger itself right now. And so this, um, this is a form. You know, I began to understand in those very first few weeks of looking at my experience and seeing that strategy, turning towards my habitual strategy of anger, that that was something my mind was adding to the experience. And over, you know, not very long actually, not only a few months, the mind also began to understand that that anger was not necessary. That it was possible to relate to experience through a different mechanism, a different strategy. But that took being aware of my own, of my habitual strategy. And so this is the kind of suffering that the Buddha talked about being able to release, kind of suffering that our minds add to experience. And the, um, the Eightfold Path is a set of tools that helps us to understand this kind of suffering, to understand what it is that our minds are contributing, and to begin to transform it. And it, it, it does feel like a transformation. It's not, it doesn't feel to me, it didn't feel to me as I explored that anger, like, um, like the, 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 the anger was just like, you know, somehow being pushed away. It felt like it was beginning to be turned inside out. It felt like it was, it was transforming. And when the mind moved into that space of anger, the mind also began to understand how painful it was. That was a, that was a kind of an interesting recognition at some point when I really saw for the first time, you know, sort of the strategy of the mind was, mm, if I'm really angry at that person, they're going to be miserable. And missing the fact that I was miserable in that very experience of anger. And so when I saw that, it's like, wow, you know, this anger, actually the person I'm mad at, like they don't even know I'm angry. You know, they're 7,000 miles away. They have no idea that I'm angry. And I am miserable. And so this was a, a kind of a recognition of how unhelpful it was. And that the mind began to understand that it wasn't helpful to this being to be angry. That was the belief, that was the delusion that was hooked up in that anger, that somehow it was helpful to me to be angry. And then the mind, through this exploration, through this being mindful, basically practicing some of the tools of the Eightfold Path, the mind began to understand, this is not helpful for this being. 
this and, and it also began to recognize this is optional for this being. And so it began to transform it. So this is the, you know, this understanding of the possibility. First of the understanding that there is suffering that we are adding, that, that our minds are adding to experience. And that it is possible to transform that. That's the kind of beginning of the Eightfold Path, is that, that understanding around suffering. And that it is possible to be free from that suffering. This is, this is what the Buddha kind of proclaimed or said. It's like, you know, we can be completely free of that kind of added suffering. And that is, um, he said, is a very um, transcendent experience. It's it's a, he, he he called it, he, he he said it was freedom. The term used was nibbana in the Pali, which is a kind of a, a of a releasing from those energies that constrict the heart. And in that freedom from the constriction, there's a a connectedness, not only with ourselves, and a, a, a non, a non um, kind of con- non conflict with what's happening in our in our own experience, and there's also a sense of connection and care and concern, love, compassion, joy in relationship to other human beings, and those re- relationships, that relational field is a feeling of the heart being open, of not being in conflict, and yet the non-conflict there doesn't mean, it's not a, oh yeah, everybody does what they want. Because that heart that feels open and connected also recognizes when other beings are participating in creating harm and suffering in the world, and there's a movement, a wish to, par- to help and participate in relieving, alleviating that suffering. So this, this movement in our hearts around letting go of our own ways that we contribute to suffering in our own system, as we explore this um, path of practice, we see that, it's, that, that, that our motivations are not just about freeing our own hearts, but also supporting and caring for other people. And helping the world are, are the people that we engage with. And that may simply, um, it may be very simple, just, you know, engaging in a new way. Or it might be, at times, a very firm or even kind of, you know, like, no, that's not okay. What you're doing there, you need to stop. And so this, um, this path brings us to this understanding of suffering. And, and as we see in our own hearts and minds that there's all this added stuff that creates suffering in our own system, we recognize, you know, we're not alone in this. I remember at one point seeing how that anger worked in my mind and seeing, you know, kind of the movement of wanting that person that I was angry at to suffer in some way. And, and in a moment, it was kind of like seeing that extrapolated to seven billion people. 
And there was this recognition, oh my gosh, no wonder there's war in this world. No wonder there's so much pain and suffering in this world. These movements of mind. It's not just about me, and, and it's not personal. I mean, it's like this is the way our minds have habitually been conditioned. Our minds have habitually thought that they could find happiness by engaging in these movements of, of greed and aversion, being confused about what a deeper kind of happiness is. You know, the, as I said, you know, the, that movement of anger, somehow my, my mind thought it was helping me. And so we're confused about what really leads to happiness, this, this kind of happiness the Buddha pointed to of, of releasing these energies. And so this is the, the first part of the Eightfold Path, right view, is really about understanding or having some sense of what, um, of, of what suffering is, what the kind of suffering that can be released is, and how our minds participate in it. The succinct definition of this is in the Four Noble Truths. The Buddha said the first noble truth, there is suffering. And this kind of suffering refers to this kind of added suffering, the suffering that we are contributing through our mental energies. And he said one of the prime mental energies that does that is craving. This kind of movement towards wanting things to be a certain way, having something, getting rid of something. And it's not just a normal wanting. You know, this is this kind of craving that leads to suffering is a, is a kind of craving that has a constricted quality. It's got a needy quality. This kind of craving basically has included in it the delusion or the belief, I need to either get this thing or get rid of this thing in order to be okay. That, the, the, that it, it has this, this, this kind of real strong identification with the having or getting rid of that uh, that thing or that experience. And so this, um, you know, beginning to understand that this energy of craving is a, is a fundamental one that we need to kind of be attuned to. That this is where uh, kind of the springboard from which the, this uh, optional suffering or additional added suffering comes from. And so having that um, perspective or, or beginning to recognize that there is this optional suffering, this added suffering, and beginning to recognize that maybe there's a possibility of transforming it, of being released from this extra suffering that our minds participate in, there's the next step of the Eightfold Path is kind of the set of intentions that, that arise in alignment with that understanding. So wise view, wise understanding is the beginning of the path, which is an orientation around what is suffering? How, how, how does it happen? And is it possible for it to end? And then the Eightfold Path as a whole is understood to be the the set of tools that help us to find the end of suffering. And so that, the view of understanding that, there's, it's possible. And maybe, and maybe at first it is simply taking on, um, 
you know, taking on faith almost, taking on faith that, that um, it's possible. I certainly, when I first heard about this, this path and the, heard about how you're supposed to go about it, you know, paying attention to your difficulties, look at your suffering, you know, look at the things that are added, begin to understand that they are added. Um, I was like clueless as to how this would be helpful. But the friend who pointed this practice to me had sent me a book. She said, you know, this has really helped me. Give it a try. And I was also supported in a way by, in, in, you know, by the fact that I tried so many different things to help me deal with my anger. And, you know, pretty much I'd come to the end of my options. I, I, had, I had run out of things to try. And so it was like, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm willing to give it a try. And so that began kind of the, uh, the set of intentions. You know, I didn't quite understand how it worked, but I was willing, maybe we could say willing to run the experiment that, that my friend pointed to and that was described in this book. And so this is, this is the beginning. This is like ri- ri- wise intention. This is aligning our at- intentions, choices, actions with supportive views in this case. So, you know, wise view, wise understanding of what leads to suffering kind of supports a set of intentions that helps us to um, move in the direction, kind of orients us towards acting in a way that will begin to lead us to freedom from suffering. So the, uh, the, the teachings offer three kinds of wise intention that kind of arise out of this view, this understanding about suffering. And the three are um, uh, renunciation or letting go of um, this kind of movement that's as a result of craving and a movement towards the pleasant away from the unpleasant. I talked about that one last time, so I won't go into that one this time. And the other two are are related um, not only to ourselves, but to relationships with others. And so right here in Wise Intention, it again begins to point to this path of practice. It's not simply about sitting down and looking inside. It is not disconnected from our community. And so the the other two are um, an intention of non-ill will and an intention of non-harming. And um, I'm just going to see if I can speak today. I'm just going to speak today about the intention of non-ill will and next time talk about the intention of non-harming. So the, um, you know, the intention of non-ill will, and again, this connects to uh, recognizing what creates suffering. I mean, if we're looking at, in our own system, wanting to be free of added suffering, you know, wanting to be free of how our system adds suffering to itself, then um, it's also useful to begin to look at 
how we might be adding suffering to our communities. And ill will, ill will is um, kind of this aversive energy, this energy of not liking, of um, you know many flavors of this. Anger, aversion, hatred, can get as strong as rage, might be flavors of fear, dread, terror, could be more low-key irritation, impatience, might be um, kind of pervasive like anxiety. So there's a lot of flavors of this flavor of, of ill will and we can see that it is um, that we have this flavor of emotional quality, really an emotional quality, both towards ourselves and towards others. And so it, the, this exploration around this intention is um, not only looking at where we uh, might be contributing suffering in our communities by putting ill will into the community. I mean, with the, 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 again, the exploration is how can we not add what creates suffering? And so to, to have the intention to not put ill will into the community or ill will into our own hearts and minds because we can direct it inwards. I mean, I found not only did that anger, that lashing out, happen externally but um, it actually took me by surprise at one point on a, on a long retreat it was a long retreat where I began to see the kind of thoughts in my mind related to um, you know, things that I had done or, or um, you know just even small things uh, I was you know very harsh with myself you're so stupid why did you do that? You're, you're, you're no good. You know, so th- th- that kind of uh, ill will was directed inwards, a form of self-hatred. It, it really shocked me. I, had, I didn't know that that was there. I knew that I got angry at other people. I didn't know that I had that ill will so directed to myself as well. And it kind of makes sense in a way. I mean, as I said, it was kind of my go-to strategy and so it's not only our, stra- you know, our strategies, our basic strategies, not only are how we navigate the external world, but also sometimes how we navigate our inner lives. So this, um, this quality of ill will creates added suffering. And so if we are, so the intention to non-ill will is an intention or a connection with the, the kind of wish. May I not add that suffering to the world. It's not this intention towards non-ill will is not kind of a, a kind of a holding to not feeling it. Um, in fact, you know that that kind of, what we typically do with with feelings when we we, we begin to learn like you know okay this 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 feeling. I think my, one of my big strategies around, around anger was feeling like it needed to be expressed because it, I could tell, you know, there's a way in which we can tell it. it does, it's not so good to have it held in. And so there's the sense of, okay, well, I either need to express this 
Or if it's like, you know, going to be somehow socially unacceptable, then I need to repress it. And so the, the only two strategies that we tend to come in to practice knowing, most of us at least, some of us may have stumbled onto something more helpful in our lives, but I only had these two options of either expression or repression around this ill will. And um, the Buddhist path teaches the kind of the middle between these two. It's this kind of place of not expressing the, uh, that energy in a way out of our actions or out of our, um, our speech. But also not shoving it under the covers, not repressing it. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? What it means is landing in the middle and honoring that this energy is arising and that it's strong and can be known, can be held with mindfulness. And so really mindfulness is this middle path between these two. It's not expressing it in its usual way. And and at first this was hard for me to see too, you know, the, the sense of of um, well, doesn't being aware of that anger just make me more angry? You know, that's what I thought would happen. But there's there's a th- this middle way. I mean, sometimes when we're aware of our of our um, ill will, there's a there's a kind of a hook into it where we're you know basically reinforcing it through our thoughts, through our beliefs. Yeah, I'm really angry, and boy, that person, you know, shouldn't have done that, and I've got to get back at that person. And, you know, those kinds of thoughts will just be reinforcing it. That's not being mindful of the anger. The being mindful of the, the ill will is kind of having a sense of curiosity. What is the human experience of this ill will? It's not following the thoughts around the ill will. It's not following through on action. It's also not repressing. And so it's this middle place where we hold, recognize, wow, this is what it's like to feel ill will. So this, you know, so our usual responses are these, these two. And so this is, this is one kind of middle way. And yet, what I would say is that the, the, the capacity to hold ill will, the capacity to hold it with that kind of curiosity, I mean, that, that's, one, that's one of the, the clues, I think, that we're really able to hold it, is there's more of a sense of kind of, oh, what is this anyway? You know, or, or there's a feeling of, oh, right, that's what's happening, there's anger happening. And it's not, I'm so angry, it's a sense of, oh yeah, the mind is this, this is, this is what's happening. Anger is happening. So it's not so much of an identification with it. But that place of where we, we land, where we can begin to find our way to holding that ill will with some kind of balance and learning about it. So this, this middle way of um, neither expressing 
nor repressing. We sit in the middle with it. And this was what I didn't know how it would work or why it would work. And um, yeah, after some years of working with it, I have a way to describe why I think it works. To turn and just be with something like ill will rather than expressing it or repressing it. And it is just this piece that I pointed to before that the mind began to see, you know, when we were mindful of it, we begin to see the painfulness of it for ourselves in this moment and begin to see the, the, the ways in which our mind has kind of deceived us into thinking this is for our benefit. Even as we're kind of being raked over the coals with that ill will but somehow missing that we're being raked over the coals. And so the mindfulness basically shows us, yeah, this is not helpful. And the, the, um, the way in which the transformation seems to happen when we are mindful of that ill will is that our system, you know, it's like we, we have this human system that seems to naturally want to move towards well-being. And it's been fundamentally confused about what well-being is and how to get there. That strategy of anger being one of those confusing, confused kind of approaches. And so the, uh, the, the mind kind of naturally wanting to move in the direction of well-being as it gets different information instead of all the beliefs and views that we've had and carried along in our lives that we've been taught in our cultures we've taught through advertising through basically sometimes feeling better feeling like I'm in control when I can get rid of something that I don't want you know, so there, there's, there's a way in which that strategy has given us little bits of relief here and there and yet, as our, as our system begins to get the information that in the very moment, this ill will is painful, our system begins to kind of recalibrate. And it's like our system begins to, to, to figure out how this can be transformed. We can't figure that out. We don't know in our minds. We don't have the the information to, to turn the anger over completely. We, I, I'm going to tell you a few things that we can use in our minds to reflect on, to, to support that turning over. But fundamentally, the transformation of that ill will happens when our system understands it's not helpful. And our system wanting to move in the direction of well-being releases it, releases the anger. So the, the, the movement of not repressing or expressing anger, the movement of being with, of being curious about, um, that's kind of one approach or the kind of one way that, that we begin or we might start to explore in terms of this intention of non-ill will. That's, that's actually engaging in a practice that supports non-ill will. To be aware of ill will. It sounds kind of contradictory, but 
being aware of it supports this transformation. And yet in my own experience and in many, you know, the many students I've talked to, the many people I've talked to, there are many times when we don't have the, um, the capacity to simply be curious about, oh, this is the experience of anger arising. The anger is so strong at times, it's like, it's like a tidal wave of energy. And the, our, our, you know, our, our mindfulness might be a little trickle of some you know, stream, but it just cannot meet that tidal wave. And so some other things you know, that, that can support us there. Um, one, of the, one of the helpful things that might be useful there is to use some reflection. Actually, use thought to remind ourselves and, and the Buddha encourages this reflection on what are the drawbacks of this anger? You know, to, to think about it. What are the drawbacks of this anger? You know, expressing it for one thing. What are the drawbacks of expressing it? I mean, maybe there's, a, there's the feeling of release of the expressing it, but then there's the big mess often that gets put out into the world. Somebody gets angry back at us because anger feeds anger not only internally, but externally. When we express anger outwardly, very likely the person that we are speaking to is going to express anger back at us. And it can get very messy. I mean, this is, again, you know, my kind of understanding. This is where wars begin. This energy of ill will is where wars begin. And so there's the, the you know, the expressing it, you know, reflecting on you know the 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 harm that it puts into the world the the messiness that it puts into the world the suffering that it creates for others but also we see even putting that out into the world we may get this like little moment of oh got rid of that you know that terrible feeling and just exploded and i feel great right now but then we have to then we have to deal with the impact on the community and the the way that people now are relating to us and so we, we, you know, so they're the, just reflecting on those drawbacks. And then also reflecting on the drawbacks internally. You know, the, that um, uh, the negative um, mind states, the states of ill will, you know, we, can, we begin to, especially through being mindful of it, begin to see the kind of stress this puts our system on. It, it, it creates all kinds of hormone releases that, that I understand that uh, I was just reading an article the other day that was talking about cortisol levels and, and how um, the cortisol, when the cortisol levels are high for long stretches of time, you tend to have a shorter lifespan. And, you know, it just creates a stress on the system. And being angry is a stressor. To our system, and so, you know, so reflecting on the drawbacks, I found it helpful at times to also, you know, to acknowledge the. Um, this was one of my go-to strategies for a period of time, when I saw that the ill will was too strong. Where I mean, basically, what, when, I, when I say too strong, what I mean is like when I tried to be mindful of it, 
the, uh, it's like I just entered into the whirlpool and went, you know, on another analogy, I went down the rabbit hole of that anger. I just went down the rabbit hole of it and got kind of just got lost in the world. And then I would resurface, you know, some minutes or, you know, at, uh, you know, later on my walk, you know, it's like, wow, there, ooh, there it is, <laughs> this feeling. And, and so what I saw is that um, when I tried to be mindful of it, I would get lost in it. And so I could see that I didn't have the capacity. A lot of the time I did not have the capacity to meet it in a way that let me just be curious about it. And so it seemed like the trying to be mindful of it just ended up having me be hooked back in that pattern, which was reinforcing it. And so I used another strategy, which was kind of like, as soon as I noticed it happening, and this is one of the benefits of the the practice of mindfulness, we can begin to see when these qualities of ill will are arising. You know, as soon as I noticed it happening, and I'd gotten pretty good at seeing it start, I could, I could just kind of, I would just like bow to it. I'd say, yep, I see you. Yep, I see you're, you know, yeah, you're actually asking for attention. Because sometimes these strong energies are kind of like sending up flares, saying, pay attention to me, you know, something's wrong here. And, uh, and yet, you know, in the only way that I knew how to pay attention to it, I would just get caught again. And so I kind of bowed to it and, and said, yeah, I see you're asking for attention and, Yep, you know, I'll come back to you when my mindfulness is a little stronger. And um, in the meantime, you can take a walk with me, but I'm going to put my attention on something else. And so it was a strategy of, essentially, it's it's another strategy the Buddha actually recommended around working with difficult energies of, of mind. A skillful ignoring, where we're not repressing it, we're not expressing it, but we're also not paying attention to it. And so I, 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 I like told my anger, yep, you can, you, know, you can take a walk with me, but I'm going to put my attention on my feet. And so I put my attention on something neutral that my mind could connect with. And I do that for, you know, a little while. And in that, what I've learned in, the, in, in subsequent, my subsequent years of practice is that movement to, to not repress, not express, but also not attend to. But if we attend to something else, something neutral, um, it's, it like takes, it takes the energy um, out of the, uh, the ill will. And it's like, it, it, it's like that when we're not feeding that energy, it lives its life, you know, all of our mental energies, mental qualities, mental emotions, wholesome and unwholesome, so all of these ill will qualities are impermanent. And if we're not feeding them, and usually what we do is we, it's like we're driving a car, we're going, we're going, you know, 60 miles an hour down the freeway, and we have our foot on the gas. So the, the anger is like the momentum of the car and the foot on the gas is like, you know, reminding myself, yep, I'm really angry. Yep, that person didn't, shouldn't have done that thing. Yep, I got to figure out how to, how to make that person miserable. You know, that's like our foot on the gas pedal. And so a, an alternative here is to take our foot off the gas pedal, put the car in neutral, and in doing that, 
You know, we don't necessarily have to be with all of those sensations of anger. We can put, or ill will, we can put our attention in something else, but if we're no longer feeding the ill will, it will slowly unwind. Kind of like a car, when put into neutral, will slowly come to a stop. Because the momentum, we're not adding the energy to keep it going. And so this not expressing and not, the repressing paradoxically is a form of adding gas, is, is a form of fueling the, uh, the energy. It's, it's, it's a way that we buy into that energy and um, believe that it's, uh, it's got to be contained and controlled in some way. And so we're adding the energy of ill will to that ill will in that repression. And so we're cultivating more ill will. So the, um, the movement of stepping aside to put our attention on something else, but not repressing so it's kind of like you have to, you have to, I put my attention on something else and it's like, yep, you know, anger can take a walk with me. And so there's, there's kind of that feeling of that momentum, but I'm not directly paying attention to it. And so after some minutes, it's like, well, it just kind of, it's like the, the mind went on to something else. It stopped kind of being engaged in that. And so that's actually the, one of the ways I worked with that um, energy of ill will. I worked with that for a long time in that way. A couple of years I worked with it that way. And it slowly began to unwind just with that simple practice of skillful ignoring. And my, um, you know, my sense of this is that, uh, you know, just not engaging in a pattern. The Buddha, one of the teachings in the, in the, uh, the sutta where the Buddha talked about this wise intention, these three kinds of wise intention. He said, whatever we frequently ponder becomes the inclination of our minds. If we're frequently, you know, engaged in thoughts of ill will, that will become the inclination of our minds. My mind was a, a case study in that when I first started practicing. And so if we shift and no longer engage in those thoughts of ill will. You know, whatever else, I mean, the, the Buddha might say that whatever else we are pondering becomes more the inclination. And so I was pondering more the neutrality. I was pondering being mindful. I was pondering the, the understanding that that anger led to pain and suffering. And so that there, was, there were different kinds of... Um, more wholesome things being cultivated there, that the intention towards non-ill will was being cultivated, even in the stepping aside from it. Even in just that stepping aside from it, the intention to non-ill will was being cultivated. So there's these, these various strategies. Mindfulness, when possible. Reflecting on the drawbacks. Setting it aside. Oh, one piece I'll say about the setting aside. Um, you know, the, the, so that teaching, whatever we frequently ponder becomes the inclination of the mind. 
um, my understanding from something I learned in in, in uh, neuroscience, you know, um, just, you know, I, I didn't do a lot of study in it. I took a course. <laughs> um, but but um, the, uh, the way the brain works, you know, with this p- neuroplasticity that they talk about, that, that the mind can reshape itself, and it's not like it gets wired in one way and it's that way forever. If things change, it can wire itself another way. And so my understanding is that if we do something frequently, so whenever we do something frequently, it's like that is kind of a, a set of patterns in the mind. It's a, it's a kind of set of neurons that are firing together in the mind. And every time they, that pattern fires, it's like a very neutral system in there. It's like that pattern fires and the system, the neutral kind of neuron, neuronal system says, oh, that one must be important. Let's add more connections to that one. And so that pattern gets stronger. There's more ways in. And then because there's more ways in, the, 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 the neurons kind of go, oh, this must be really important. Let's add some more. So it just, it, it just gets it like it's a deeper and deeper kind of rut. It's more and more kind of uh, enmeshed in our, the way that the neurons are connecting. But the thing that I, I learned to my surprise, that one didn't surprise me so much. That one really resonated with what I experienced in my mind, how deep those ruts got. But what I learned is that if you, if you step aside from engaging in those patterns, so this is, this is either the being mindful of it, it's not the repressing, it's not the expressing, but either the being mindful of it or the setting it aside kind of thing. If we don't engage in that pattern, then, you know, and we engage in other things, it's like all of those neurons supporting that, again, the impersonal nature of our, of our brains is that those, um, those neurons, when they're not being used as much in that pattern, basically kind of shift to other patterns. So it's, it's almost like they're saying, oh, this one's less important now. This one's not being used as much. We can, we can connect to other places. And so the, that, the non-engagement with that pattern weakens it in our brains. And, you know, the Buddha, the Buddha saying this, whatever we frequently ponder becomes the inclination of our minds. This is basically the, you know, the, what we've learned in neuroscience. And the Buddha understood it 2,600 years ago. So there's that, um, that possibility of stepping aside from the, uh, the ill will. And then there's the possibility um, and it's, I think actually what I'll do is I'll just mention it and then we'll open it to questions and I'll take the next class to speak about the next possibility because it, it can be, actually it could be a whole series of classes. Um, another possibility or intention, a movement that we can cultivate is the intention towards the opposite of ill will. So the intention is towards non-ill will and it's phrased, phrased that way. It's phrased in the intention towards non-ill will which for me is uh, a useful way to phrase it. Um, But we can also look at it as the possibility of the intention towards what is the opposite of ill will, it's love. And so we can explore the possibility of cultivating love, loving kindness, the quality of metta, 
as another expression of this intention. This can be this can be done in in different ways. There's there's ways that we might cultivate the quality of kindness through just noticing when it happens. That's one way of cultivating it. But we can also kind of more intentionally incline the mind in that direction by um, actively thinking thoughts of goodwill. And this is the metta practice. This is the 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 practice of loving kindness that is it's there's actually a formal meditation practice that supports this direction of turning the mind towards kindness and love kindness is another good word for for non ill will and so there's a lot to speak about in terms of this cultivation of metta so i think i'll i'll save that for next time and see if there's any comments or thoughts or questions that that you have about what i have shared yeah so you mentioned uh mindfulness is the middle way between expression and repression in ill will. And I was wondering if, if what you said also applies to greed. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And most of what you said would apply. It would apply to pretty much any reactive emotion. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what's interesting about mindfulness, I mean, it, it, it is this middle way with reactive emotions. So any, any um, you know, anger, confusion, greed... Um, pettiness, you know, all kinds of uh, subtle and and um, obvious reactive states of mind. Those ones that we feel of as suffering. You know, when we, we turn within this middle way, not expressing or repressing, um, the tendency is for the, the mind to, in moving towards well-being to begin to release them, to transform them into something else something more wholesome. And yet the same middle way of mindfulness, you know, it, it's, uh, you know the, same, the same tool when it's uh, directed towards love or kindness or patience or generosity so when, when, when we turn with that same quality of curiosity towards um, wholesome qualities of mind, beautiful qualities of mind, that very same mechanism that wants to move us in the direction of well-being tends to increase those qualities in the mind. So it's, a, it's an amazing thing, mindfulness. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought of a good example for this situation. But this is when we're in a situation of ongoing aversion. Like there's a stimulus that isn't stopping for two hours, right? And I just thought of a good analogy. What if you were on the cabinet with our lovely leader and had to try to 
maintain some decorum through that situation. So, and and I can feel how compassion would be a really great thing to do, but it just feels really hard. So I I don't know if you, you know, because there's a, there's a also a duty to try to remedy the situation because you're in a group environment that's not going well, but then. Um, it feels really hard not to allow the aversion, the anxiety, the feeling unsafe. The uh, yeah, know. I mean it is it is hard. It's absolutely challenging, and and so we you know we do the best we can, and we learn. So maybe this is also useful to bring in um, um, in an, in another top another time because there's a lot to say about this and how hard it can be and how to navigate the really hard times um but you know one of the things i i encourage is like yeah we're gonna we're gonna mess up you know we are gonna mess up we're gonna act out of those energies because they are so strong and we are in the learning mode around mindfulness and so get really good at cleaning up the mess you know it's like Get good at acknowledging and admitting, yeah, I acted out of that energy. Um, but the other piece I'll point to is that I think compassion is a big support here. So that's the other, that's the other, that's the one of non-harming. You know, so the intention of non-ill will, um, you know, the positive side of that, we can say, is the intention towards kindness, towards metta, towards love. The intention towards non-harming, the positive side of that is the intention towards compassion, and so the, you know, the cultivation of compassion, we can cultivate it, but also as we start to really touch into, I mean, so, so yeah, we, we, we cultivate the qualities of kindness, we cultivate the qualities of compassion. At first, we have to actively cultivate them, but over time, we begin to um, touch in more, in a way, to the suffering and recognize yeah, all these people in this room, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of what I said earlier, you know, it's like I've seen how my own mind works and how much, it, how hard it is not to act on this, you know, energy. So, of course, everybody else is doing the same thing. And I know how much I suffer with this, so, yeah, everybody else is suffering with this, too. And that begins to, to tap us into the, 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 the compassion that can happen more naturally with it when we recognize that it's really just a whole bunch of suffering playing out. And that one place I go to right now is that relieves me of the sole responsibility or the control. Like, yeah. oh no, I have to fix this. That's true, yes. It, Which it, then creates a real tension and... And the compassion, the compassion is an energy that will want to step in and do something. And yet... It's totally different than control. Yes, exactly. Yes, it's very different than control. Yes, and, so, and, and from feeling like it has to unfold in, in a certain way. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at something right now where I'm dealing with the community and there's different, widely different opinions on something that's very impactful for somebody. And I'm like, wow, you know, I'm the one that's kind of in the leadership role here, and I have to navigate all these things. And, and you know, I got this email yesterday, and it's like, I just need to, like, 
for now, I just need to like just sit with this and not like try to figure out how to respond. My initial thing was to kind of like, oh yeah, I need to get in there and, and do these things. And, and it's like, no, actually, it's probably best for me to kind of sit. And I've seen little things bubble up over the, over the night and this morning. It's like, oh, that's a, that's a piece. Okay, that might be useful. And to just give, give myself the space to have the compassion. You know, and not, and yet there are times, I mean, I'm lucky here, I've got, probably I've got a week to figure this one out. (laughs) So I can take some time to feel into that compassion and to feel into the suffering on all these different sides uh, and maybe find a way through. Um, But sometimes we have to make a decision like that. You know, sometimes we don't have that luxury of a week. And, you know, we do the best we can. And, recognize and acknowledge yeah uh, you know there's the there is going to be some aversion some um, frustration that's playing out here but knowing that it's there we can sometimes step a little bit into the compassion side in terms of taking the action so that uh, there's the acknowledgement yes that aversion is there now not repressing it because repressing it is probably going to come out but sometimes if we can know it's there, there can be a little bit more of the compassion that, that comes through. You know, so I think the compassion is often there. It's just often a little bit kind of uh, dimmed. And so we might be able to heighten the sense of that. I don't know if you said this, but and compassion for ourselves. for Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Needing to go through this again. <laughs> <laughs> and the suffering that, you know, yeah. it, it's... So it's time to stop. So thank you all. I'll continue next week with Meta. Meta.